Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show that applauds the efforts of a group of volunteers that have strived to keep the Spokane International Film Festival a going concern. Though the founders, including the late film critic Bob Glatzer, have long since left the scene, SPIF, as it is known, endures. Even as, like so many other organizations, art-oriented or otherwise, it had to weather the COVID-19 pandemic, among other problems. SPIF 2024 begins its eight-day run this weekend, and we'll share our thoughts on some of its features. First, though, we take a look at Jonathan Glazer's look at the mix of the mundane and the horrible involving a family that lives right next to the Auschwitz concentration camp during the height of World War II. Rudolf and Hedwig Huss, stars of the zone of interest as played respectively by Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller, were a real-life couple. Rudolf was a Nazi officer and the commander of Auschwitz, the death camp, that he not only helped design but ended up perfecting as a killing machine. He, Hedwig, and their children lived in the compound, the wall of their garden being the only thing that separated them from the camp inmates. Writer-director Jonathan Glazer, working very loosely from a 2014 novel by the author Martin Amos, focuses not on what occurs in the camp, but on the mundane, upper-middle-class life of Rudolph and family. This conceit, artful as it is, has attracted some criticism for not portraying the harsh camp environment. But for some of us, focusing on the ordinary while one of the great cultural crimes of the 20th century takes place in the background actually deepens the tragic effect. Glazer is an English-born filmmaker known for such disparate but quality movies as Sexy Beast and Under the Skin, but the German-language effort The Zone of Interest, which is nominated both for Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Feature, takes his career to new heights. And certainly this is one of the most formally audacious movies and stylistically audacious movies to perhaps ever be nominated for Best Picture. And I do sort of want to talk about the way in which the zone of interest is made. You alluded to it a little bit because it takes a visual approach that is both similar to and kind of antithetical to the 2015 Holocaust drama Son of Saul. I was thinking of that movie a lot while watching this. And that was a movie that was shot mostly in really shallow focus with the camera hovering right behind our protagonist who is actually inside the concentration camps. And so it was almost really narrowing the focus of that great tragedy to this one man. And this movie also looks at the Holocaust with a very deliberate and almost intentionally divisive visual style. But in contrast to Son of Saul, the zone of interest is shot with the characters often in the middle distance. A lot of the time they're far away from us. The camera barely moves except for some moments where it's tracking directly alongside the characters in a few moments. There are times when it feels like the film is almost comprised of footage that they've taken from like a set of security cameras that are located around the characters. Yeah, Yeah, because it will just, you'll see a character kind of moving through the house that it's mostly set in, and it will almost click from one angle to another as if metronomic almost. Uh And as you mentioned, he's also putting the genuine literal atrocities of the Holocaust literally in the background. We hear 
gunfire in the distance. And the sound design does so much in Mm -hmm. the zone of interest. We hear gunfire and screams and occasionally the sky at night lights up with the fires from the smoke. Or or there'll be a party or something going on and then you'll see smoke of a train going by and you know that train is carrying people into the camp. Right. But by pushing those atrocities into the background, I agree with you. I don't think he's diminishing them. I think he's pushing the evil closer to us, more sharply into the foreground, even though, as I said, sometimes they're not literally in the foreground, but they get closer to us. And it's a real human evil that he's looking at here. And that's something that we can't forget. And watching these people in the most mundane aspects of their lives, because through a lot of this movie, there's not a lot happening within the lives of these characters, at least up to a point. There's a swim party. There's a birthday party. Yeah. There's dinner parties. Right. And people come why to not visit. party? People come to visit. Mm-hmm. People leave. And that, to me, makes the evil all the more potent in a strange way, because we have to contend with the fact that these are people who not only chose to live directly next to a death camp, but they lived well. Yes. And there is something really chilling about that. And so this worked for me a lot. And then I think what Glazer does with the ending of The Zone of Interest, which I wouldn't dare spoil, but he's merging past and present in a really provocative way that reminded me of what Scorsese was doing with the ending of Killers of the Flower Moon. I think these movies Mm -hmm. are channeling kind of similar paths in completely diametrically opposed stylistic ways. But this is a movie that is sitting heavily with me and that will haunt me for a long time. You kind of talked about this in your intro, Dan, that I know it's not going to work for everybody. And it is a challenging movie, not just in terms of its material, but in terms of the way it is made. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention the fact that it begins with a black screen and Mika Levy's droning music, mm-hmm. which goes on for two and a half, three minutes and just forces you to sit there and contend with just the void that mm-hmm. you are being sucked into. I found this a really enveloping and unforgettable film. I agree. I think it's an amazing effort. And we had the opportunity to go to Auschwitz, and it was this beautiful spring day. I mean, flowers everywhere, and it was so incongruous. I couldn't deal with it. It was too much. And that's how I felt about this movie at different points, because this family in Zone of Interest, which I think is what the area that they were living in was called back in the day, They're just going about their business. And you think, okay, maybe no one really fully appreciates what's going on. And then all of a sudden, the wife, who's very happy about her upscale lifestyle. Who's played by the Oscar-nominated Sandra Huller. Who's amazing, of Mm -hmm, course. mm -hmm. She says to her husband something to the effect, he's going off to work, and she goes, try to get some goodies, you know, like chocolate or something like that. And you're like, whoa. What what about the scene in which she closes the door and then she prances around in a full-length fur coat? And it's like, you know where that came from. Yes, And she discovers a lipstick um, in the lining. And then there are these scenes where they're picnicking, you know, next to the river and the kids are swimming. And then all of a sudden, dad realizes, oh, there's detritus Mm -hmm. in the water and pulls the kids out. Or there are little scenes, like I think one of the workers in the house is hosing off the boots of the commandant, and you can see the red blood run into the drain. So there are just all these little things that I thought made the film much eerier. What you don't see and what you're seeing in your mind is so 
like you said, all-encompassing. Yeah, and by seeing it in microcosm, it weirdly magnifies it. Exactly. Uh, for me, it did. I know that that's not the case for everyone, but that was the effect it had on me. Well, and then the commandant, he's so loyal to Hitler, but his wife thinks that he has this, you know, super elevated position in the inside track, and at one point, he gets transferred, and she insists on staying there, and I was like, really? You're staying there? But she didn't want to give up everything that they had even if it meant her husband going to another location. And it was Mm -hmm. just all these sort of mixed messages about the banality of evil, so to speak, how people lived with this. And then the kids are sort of aware and unaware at the same time about what is happening. But you wonder longer term what would be the effect on children who were compelled to deal with that. I don't know whether we've stressed it enough. This is based upon real story. The Huss family was real. Rudolph was a Nazi officer, a Nazi officer who two years after the end of the war ended up being hung for his crimes. Hedwig didn't die until like 1980 or something. So there's a whole other story that could be told about these people. And there are times in the zone of interest where I did feel like because Glazer is a capital A artist. And I have to say that his film, Under the Skin, is one that... I yeah, mean, the one with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yes. I love that movie. There were moments in the zone of interest where I did think, this resembles more of an art installation than it does, you know, a narrative film. There were times where I thought that his stylistic approach had sort of made all the points that it could make and it was threatening to become either monotonous or, you know, I was like, okay, I get it. But then he would throw in something that I was not expecting, including these really haunting but beautiful night vision sequences that we wonder what we're looking at and we start to kind of piece it together. And then again, the ending, which I mentioned, which took me by surprise, but makes total sense thematically and stylistically with what he's doing before. The cinematography is by Lukas Zoll, who's a Polish cinematographer who shot Ida and Cold War, Mm -hmm. some of the best Polish films we've seen recently. So, I mean, it's a meticulously made movie about meticulously evil people. Right. And it's not going to work for everybody, but it certainly worked for the three of us. And that was our discussion of the Oscar-nominated film The Zone of Interest. This is Movies 101. It's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts of Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to talk about what to expect from the 2024 Spokane International Film Festival. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Spokane Public Radio Record Sale is coming Saturday, February 17th and Sunday the 18th. The SPR staff and volunteers are deep into the process of sorting, categorizing, and preparing the thousands of CDs, DVDs, and records we receive, even tapes and equipment. It's a big job. Thanks so much to everyone who donated this year. And thanks to our event donors, STCU and the Cleaning Authority for their support and our media partner, The Spokesman Review. The Spokane Public Radio record sale will be at the Center Place Regional Events Center Saturday, February 17th and Sunday the 18th. 9 to 5 Saturday, 11 to 5 Sunday. All proceeds help support Spokane Public Radio. We hope to see you there. And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. 
During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discussed the Oscar-nominated film The Zone of Interest. Let's now turn to something of local interest, the 2024 Spokane International Film Festival. Since the late 1990s, when it focused mainly on films produced in the Pacific Northwest and Canada, SPIF has presented area film fans with an opportunity to see a range of movies that, until the advent of online resources, they wouldn't be able to see any other way. The festival continues this year with a wide range of offerings, some of which my partners Nathan and Mary Pat are going to discuss. As I am a past member of the festival's board of directors, and I served as a voluntary programmer for this year's festival, and am serving on the documentary jury, I'm going to sit back and listen to what they have to say. But, you know, first of all, I, I want to say that I've been really proud that the festival has maintained a presence in Spokane for a quarter century. It's something that Bob Glatzer and the people who ran the Contemporary Arts Alliance began way back when with some sort of a vision of bringing film to Spokane, back when it was difficult that the only place that we saw films were in the old Magic Lantern Theater, and we didn't get everything, and there was no other way of seeing things except maybe months later on video. The festival came along, it started playing some really amazing films after about year three, and it's continued. What do you guys think that this particular festival has to offer? Well, I want to say that looking back a little bit, it's crazy to me that I can say the first spiff I went to was 20 years ago, uh, which is... When you um, were three. Thank you. Yeah, it's unsettling. But yeah, also, we had to burp him, remember? <laughs> you know, you really shouldn't take babies into movie theaters. It's really irresponsible. But also just the fact that there are movies that I saw at spiff, you know, years ago that have stuck with me for years that I've never been able to see again because mm -hmm. I, I either can't find them or can't remember what they were. And so it's a little easier to track things down now, but that just kind of goes to show you that it was this international film oasis for a little while. And now it's more of a, you know, an indie film oasis, but there's still some great international offerings up well, this year, I think. And we're also fortunate to have the Magic Lantern to yes, host these absolutely. films because, you know, I think that's a struggle for some festivals, just trying to find places to screen and so forth. And the Magic Lantern has always been such a hospitable host. Yeah. And looking at just the breakdown of the schedule this year in terms of numbers, we've got three documentary features, 14 narrative features, 11 documentary shorts, 19 narrative shorts, and 12 animated shorts. So there's still a lot of diversity there in terms of genre, in terms of subject matter, in terms of length even. If a short film is more of your speed than a narrative, there's a lot to choose from. So I would suggest just going on to the schedule, kind of clicking around seeing what's available when you are and spokanefilmfestival.org yeah, and just give something there. a chance honestly like i have found that sometimes just walking into a movie on the schedule that i don't really know anything about i've been really pleasantly surprised and by even things. if you don't want to go to the theater the virtual film festival is there also absolutely well, I will always gravitate toward a documentary mm -hmm. if given a choice. And there are three feature documentaries. So I'm going to talk just briefly about two of them. And the one that I found to be most compelling, not in terms necessarily of the way that it was made, but the subject matter was titled Richland. And yes, it's about Richland, Washington, and about Hanford and about the people who worked there. And it manages to integrate archival footage with the stories of people who lived there. And I think it does a good job of sort of explaining that these people 
may have appreciated what was going on. They didn't necessarily appreciate the exposure to the plutonium that might have created problems for them later. But this was a job. All the dads worked, you know, out in the area. And they've maintained that name, the Richland Bombers, as the mascot for the high school football team and so forth. And I think anybody who lives in eastern Washington would appreciate learning more and also putting the whole Richland experience in a context that, you know, explains sort of how the people were dealing with their daily lives and so forth. Yeah. And that film, Richland, plays Sunday, February 11th at 11 a.m. at the Magic Lantern. I will turn to another feature documentary that I have seen that also has regional interest. It is called Punderneath It All. And yes, there is a pun in the title of this documentary that is about puns, directed by Abby Hagen. And it's about people who run and compete in, for the most part, pun competitions and pun slams. And it focuses primarily on these events that are happening on the West Coast. But for our audience specifically, we should say that there is a chapter of this film devoted to Spokane and the Punderground championships that happen here regularly. And if we look real closely, we can see your wife in the background. Yes, she's mostly out of focus in the background, (laughs) but she's there. I saw her making her film debut. Um, So that was very exciting. But it's funny. I have a friend of mine who particularly loves documentaries about people who have weird jobs or strange hobbies, the movies like, you know, Fast, Cheap and Out of Control or The King of Kong or the movies that are about, you know, like competitive crossword puzzlers or Scrabble players. So I'm going to send this one to him because it fits in that category, underneath it all, it's called. And it's playing at the Magic Lantern twice on February 10th. Those screenings are sold out, but the nice thing about this is that it will be available virtually through SpokaneFilmFestival.org on February 11th. So if you do want to watch it at home, you can do that at that time. And the other doc that I saw is titled Coming Around, and it's about a queer Muslim woman who has this sort of community. She lives in New York, right? In New York, yeah. And then she has a close relationship with her family, her sister and her mom, but her mom doesn't really know about her sexual orientation. And so she's trying to sort of navigate this pathway. And at one point, she marries a guy in this traditional ceremony. So we're sort of given access to her world. And I followed it all the way through. I mean, I was intrigued by sort of how it was going to play out. Again, titled Coming Around, and it plays on Tuesday, February 13th at the Magic Lantern. And there are actually a fair number of LGBTQ plus films at this festival. And so I think that, again, if you're searching for areas of interest, the one thing that the schedule does. It sort of highlights films that have an indigenous theme, and we have several of those, or special interest areas, if you want to frame it in that way. And so I think that that's a helpful feature of being able to search for things that might appeal to you. Yeah. And one of the indigenous interest films that I wanted to call out, not because I've seen it, but because I am looking looking forward forward to seeing it, It's called Fancy Dance. Not Fancy Dancing. No, Fancy Dance. It plays February 12th. That's a Monday at 6.30 p.m. at the Magic Lantern. This has been getting buzzed since it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at last year's Sundance. And because it stars current Oscar nominee Lily Gladstone, she plays a woman who lives on the Seneca Cayuga Reservation in Oklahoma, who's both searching for a missing sister and sort of connecting with her niece. And I want to say I have seen this movie and 
if you've seen Killers of the Flower Moon and you know what Lily Gladstone plays there, a kind of uh, introverted, very compassionate, uh, loving indigenous woman from the, uh, the early 1900s. Right, exactly. Yeah. In Fancy Dance, she's a tattooed biker. And Ooh, yeah. it, is, okay. it is real different. Now I'm it's really a real different performance. Um, I'll also call out a narrative feature that I have seen called No Right Way, which was directed by Chelsea Bow, B.O., and she also stars in the movie as this woman who has to drive from L.A. to Las Vegas to pick up her much younger half-sister, who's played by a really good young actress named Ava Akers because their mother is having a lot of problems and it kind of plays out like a less grungy, less shaggy Sean Baker movie. It feels like kind of half improvised and just has these two really good performances at the center. So I think people will really like that one. That plays Saturday, February 10th at 1130 a.m. also at the Magic Lantern Theater. The other thing that we should make people aware of is that several of these films actually have the directors or people involved with the film who are scheduled to attend. And so a couple of things that I was looking forward to, February 10th at 2 p.m. where the rope ends, and it's about a woman who is interested in canyoneering. And of course, tragedy occurs. And so she has to sort of deal with the aftermath of that and so forth. And the director, Bailey Sinner, is to attend. Same day, the film Global Harmony, which is about an award-winning journalist who starts a foundation. The directors are planning to attend that particular film. So I would say, you know, again, if you enjoy some film discussion and so forth, look for those that specifically mention the director's presence. And then just, again, to say that Spiff runs February 9th to the 16th, you can get tickets now, SpokaneFilmFestival.org. And that was our discussion of the 2024 Spokane International Film Festival. And this is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster. And earlier in the show, Nathan Wine, Bindamari, Pat Truthart, and I discussed the Oscar-nominated film The Zone of Interest. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show. And we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, when we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer, wherever we can find it. Until then... Consider these words from the great Francis Ford Coppola. I think cinema, movies, and magic have always been closely associated. The very earliest people who made film were magicians. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.